Good morning, everybody. You guys have your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 5, verse uh, 1. John chapter 5, verse 1. Um, are the lackeys here today, Rich and Sue Lackey? Uh, they were at the first. Oh, there they are again, right? In the same spot. I should have just looked right here. Would you guys stand up? We have two of our favorite missionaries with us this morning. Would you welcome Rich and Sue? <clears throat> they have been a part of this church and um, sponsored as missionaries for over two decades. And they're great friends. Uh, just a Great work of God through their lives. They have served, think about this, they have served God faithfully in the mission field for 40 years. 40 years. Isn't that, isn't that extraordinary? Um, they have served uh, in the Arab world, North Africa area. They've leveraged, really God has used them to um, develop some amazing technological uh, programs to reach uh, Muslims with the gospel. And so they're going to be uh, out in the lobby after the service. Would encourage you guys to stop by, talk uh, with them, encourage them, pray for them. And then, then also, if you have a heart, maybe God's been stirring your heart for North Africa or the Middle East, I want to encourage you to um, see what God might speak through their lives to you. Sound good? We're uh, in John chapter 5 today. Uh, we're going to read this um, section of scripture, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for uh, South Korea. You guys know there's uh, just a tragic event that happened uh, yesterday. And then also the Philippines was hit with a really devastating storm. So we're going to pray for the Philippines. And then I also want to encourage us to pray for our own country. Um, we have a great opportunity to enjoy our civic uh, blessing to be able to elect our representatives in um, government. And so I want to encourage you guys. It's a responsibility. It's a joy. Make sure you vote. Sound good? I mean, it's good we don't live in a dictatorship. Can I get an amen? Okay. The Bible says in verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, if you're reading the English Standard Version, you're gonna notice there is no verse four. And if you're reading the New King James or the King James Version, you do have a verse four. And I wanna read um, to you guys what verse four is in the New King James Version. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Really quickly, um, remember the English Standard Version has a different philosophy on translation. They're going to older manuscripts to base their translation off of. Uh, and there is no manuscript before 400 AD that actually has verse four. So you might be saying, well, what is it? Um, is it part of the original text? Is it not part of the original text? There's a big argument over that. Um, my point of view on this is it makes more sense with verse 4 than without verse 4. So I would say this was most likely true, that there was an angel that went down at a certain time to the pool, stirred the water, and whoever stepped into uh, the pool first at the stirring of the water was healed. So verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, classic Jesus question, do you want to be healed? So what did the guy say? Like, what would you say if this was you? 
Yeah, you say yes, right? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, because that's what happens when Jesus commands something to happen, it happens. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. No, no surprise there because Jesus loves a little controversy. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, um, man, dude, we're so excited for you. You've been paralyzed for a long time and we're all collectively stoked that you've been healed. No, they don't say that. They say, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him where? In the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And Father, we're thankful today for your word for us and God, your word for us today is mercy. God, we're thankful for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you love us with a steadfast love, that your love is pointed in one direction and it compels you to compassionately meet us in our time of need. And God, on our mind right now, we think of uh, the people in the Philippines who are suffering after the storm and the people in Korea after that um, tragic event. God, we pray for your mercies upon these people who are in such great need. And God, we pray for our own nation for the awakening, the spiritual awakening that we so desperately need. Father, be merciful. And God, today I know in this room and for those watching online that there's just a great need, a great need that we all have. God, we need your help. We need you to compassionately move in our time of need and demonstrate your great power and so, Father, may we learn today about your mercies. But God, maybe even more than that, may we cry out to you for them. And may we experience you in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, remember, Jesus, Jesus is the revelation of the Father. When we read the gospel accounts and we learn something about Jesus, we are simultaneously learning something about the Father because Remember, John had said as he started this gospel account, no one's seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has made him manifest to us. So God reveals himself in three different ways primarily. There's the general revelation of God. That's the revelation of God through creation. You go outside. Uh, you see the sun rising. You see the majesty of the mountains. You're hanging out with your family. You have a newborn. You can see the wisdom of God, the omnipotence of God in his created works. And then there's the special revelation of God. That's the word of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. God has declared himself to us. 
He's revealed himself in very specific ways, not only the characteristics and attributes and qualities of God, but his plan, the, the grand narrative uh, that we're living in, that we're a part of, the purposes of God, how it all started and where it's all going. And then the third way that God reveals himself to us is his personal revelation, that is his son, Jesus Christ. Um, he is, the Bible says, the brightness of the glory of God and the express image of his person. So, yeah, somebody else say amen to that. Hey, I expect you guys to be lively today because the first service was, and the first service is never more lively than the second service. <laughs> so, you got, you got your work cut out for you. But, re but remember, when you're reading stories in the Gospels, when you're reading a Jesus story in the Gospel, it's leading you to an understanding not only about who Jesus is, but who the Father is who the Father is. When you see qualities and characteristics and attributes demonstrated through the life of Christ, you're learning something not only about Jesus, you're learning something about the Father. And so you might be thinking, well, that's interesting. How does that apply today? Well, this is what we learn today through the life of Jesus. We learn that God the Father is merciful. Aren't you thankful for the mercies of the Father? Aren't you grateful that he, anybody in the house today Thankful for the mercies of God. Maybe, maybe that was your week. You know, you're just like, oh, God, I need your mercies this week. Maybe that's just been your life. Maybe for you today, you've never even thought about God being a merciful God. More like, you know, this big rule keeper in the sky that's looking down on your life. Looking down on your life and identifying all the ways that you fall short and just ready to judge and ready to pour out wrath. Well, I've got good news for you today. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals to us that our God, God the Father, is a merciful God. The, the word mercy... The word mercy in Hebrew is chesed, and in Greek it is eleo, and mercy is indivisibly linked to God's love. They are connected together. They're almost like Siamese twins in the scripture. Almost inevitably, when you see mercy mentioned, you also see love mentioned, the love of God. In fact, um, as you're reading your English Standard Version, oftentimes in the Old Testament where the New King James Version or the King James Version has mercy, the English Standard Version has steadfast love or loving kindnesses. It's a very complex word, mercy is. And it involves all of those things. It is mercy, it is steadfast love, and it is loving kindness. In fact, I wanted to show you a couple of verses today that kind of bring this point to bear. In Titus chapter three, these are all really good verses. Titus chapter three, verse four, the Bible says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us because we're so awesome. No, it doesn't say that. Not, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So you have the love of God or the loving kindness of God and you have the mercy of God. Lamentations chapter three, the steadfast, the steadfast, it goes in one direction for you and for me. It is relentless it is faithful. He can't fail in this. This is what steadfast means. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. It never stops for you. His mercies never come to an end. 
You know, you're never going to get to the bottom of his mercies. They're never going to run out. You're never going to knock on the door and ask for God's mercies. And he's going to say, hey, sorry, we're out of that today. That's never going to happen. His mercies never come to an end. Listen, it gets better. They are new every morning. They're new every morning. Anybody thankful for that? Man, you can wake up in the morning. You can, you can wake up in the morning and say, God, you know what? I need your mercies today. I need your mercies. They're brand new. It's a brand new start. God is not, you know, keeping a record of wrongs. He's not saying to you, well, you really jacked up yesterday. And because you jacked up so bad, no mercies for you, right? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, but God being, being what? Not poor. He's not poor. He, it's, it's, not like a, it's not like he just barely has enough to go around. He is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So we were going one way away from God and yet God was hunting us down. He was pursuing us because he has a great love for us and desired to be compassionate towards us. He made us alive together with Christ. You see that, yeah, you see mercy and love. Mercy and love are tied together. I want to give you a definition of mercy today based on what the scripture says. Mercy is God's faithful and focused love for us that drives him to compassionately help us in our time of need. To compassionately help us in our time of need. Mercy is God's faithful and focused love for us that drives us, or excuse me, that drives him or compels him or motivates him or moves him to compassionately help us in our time of need. If you're doing a word study on mercy, um, you'll discover that the word mercy appears about 282 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, I read through all of those occurrences this last week, and I want to give you some highlights about the mercy of God from those 282 occurrences. Uh, we learn as we, as we read about the mercies of God that they're unending. We learn that they're undeserved. We discover that God is rich in mercies. We discover that mercy is the basis for our forgiveness. We discover that it is through the mercies of God that he has chosen not to forsake us. Somebody say amen to that. We discover that God's mercies endure forever, that it's his mercies that distinguish him from all other gods. The Bible teaches that uh, mercy surrounds those who trust in God. The Bible teaches that mercy satisfy us in the morning. The Bible teaches that when we taste of the mercies of God, it leads us to sing songs to God like we did today. The Bible teaches that mercies are from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. The Bible teaches that mercies should generate gratitude for God within our hearts. We discover that our iniquity is atoned for through the mercies of God. We read stories about blind men being healed, a Canaanite woman being touched, and a man who had a demon-possessed son coming to Christ based on his mercy. 
and asking for healing or for exorcism, we discover that mercy triumphs over judgment. We discover that mercy is the wisdom of God. And then Peter tells us that it is through the mercies of God that we have been born again. Couple highlights for you today. And I say all of that, I say all of that to say this to you today, and this should resonate with you for sure. You should live your life depending on the mercies of God. You should live your life depending on the mercies of God. Let me say it a different way. There shouldn't ever be a day in your life where you are not leaning in or looking to or desiring mercies to come from the Lord. Real believers, followers of God, daily depend on his mercies. So as we look at this story, um, there are three things about the mercies of God that stand out to me. Number one is this, when no one sees you, when no one sees you because of mercy, Jesus does. Number two, when you have no one to help you because of mercy, Jesus will. And number three, when Jesus touches your life, his mercy leads you to worship. The third thing that we see today as we consider this story is that when Jesus touches your life, his mercy leads you to worship. The story takes place in a place called Bethesda. Um, there were pools there, there were colonnades. Um, if you go to Israel with us in March, uh, what you'll discover is we'll actually go to the ancient site of the pools of Bethesda um, and we'll be able to walk around the colonnades and actually go down to where there is some water still remaining. Um, this water was collected there because this was where the city water would drain from the northwest side to the the east side of the city. Um, but this particular place, like I said, had colonnades and there were people, you know, John is very descriptive about the people that were there. There were blind people, there were invalids, there were people who were physically sick. I mean, it was, it was a very difficult sight to behold. Um, they, were, they were called the pools of Bethesda and the word Bethesda is a compound Aramaic word and it means house of mercy. House of mercy. And so the story uh, seems to go that there was an angel that would stir the waters and when the waters would go from placid to being stirred, as all those people were gathered there, the first person that was able to crawl down or roll down or walk down or be carried down and placed in the water was supernaturally healed. Um, it is interesting that John also notes that the, this place was right next to the sheep gate that Nehemiah built um, some 600 years earlier. Uh, and so on a daily basis, sheep that were being sacrificed in the temple on the altar of sacrifice would be brought through this gate. Um, and then in addition to that, on the feast of Passover, um, the sheep that would be sacrificed that people would bring would be brought through this gate also. We don't know why John included that detail. It might be, remember, because John's very specific about um, conveying this, this reality that was declared by John the Baptist, it might be that John is making the connection that there the Lamb of God that was slain for the sin of the world was in the house of mercy, the, the place also where the sheep that would be sacrificed for the atoning of sin were brought through. It's a possibility who necessarily knows. But the, play, the place was packed. It was packed with suffering and sick people. Um, if you rolled into the 
the pools of Bethesda, it would have just been overwhelming, an overwhelming sight to see. I mean, people really suffering, people living in hopelessness. There was probably the smell of sickness that was hanging over um, the air. It was emblematic, Bethesda was. It was emblematic of the de devastating effects that sin had on the world. It was filled with suffering people. You know, I think about the current context of that, and these words come to my mind, violence, greed, sickness, hunger, war, victimization, and of course, those are just the highlights of the news this week. I don't know about you, but we daily see the devastating effects of sin all around us. Sometimes it's overwhelming, right? I mean, you hit the news a couple times a day, and pretty soon it's so discouraging you know, it is just, it's seemingly so sad and so hopeless. You're like, what in the world is going on? And I'll tell you what in the world is going on. Sin is going on. Sin has wrecked havoc on humanity. And there's only one solution, and his name is Jesus. Yeah. This man, was, this man was, was living in a place of hopelessness. He was chronically suffering for 38 years. He had been an invalid. Not only that, we're gonna see later on, he had no friends, he had no family. He literally was left behind. He was left behind. Not only was he left behind, but he was stepped over, pushed down, and held back when the angel would stir the water. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Right, I mean, because we think about the physical suffering of this man, which was absolutely overwhelming. I want you to think about the emotional suffering that he was dealing with as well. Think about the sense of abandonment that he had, the sense of aloneness that he had. He didn't even have a friend that was close enough to pick him up and carry him down to the water. He had absolutely nobody and then not only that, but when the water was stirred, he would have been stepped over, he would have been pushed back, he would have been held back because everyone was really after the healing for themselves. And so there was just this overwhelming burden that this man was living with. And not only that, he was in a place called Bethesda, the house of healing, and the healing never came for him. He was in a place about 100 yards away from the temple where the altar of sacrifice would have been. It's interesting, when you go to the pools of Bethesda with me, you can stand there and you can literally see the temple mount. And you know, this man would have seen the smoke rising from the altar of sacrifice. He would have heard on a daily basis, and then especially during the, the, the feast where the Jews would gather three times a year. He would have hear, heard the chanting and the praising. He would have heard the hallelujahs. He would have heard all of the communion happening between God and his people, but because he was an invalid, he was not allowed to go onto the Temple Mount. This man not only felt abandoned by people, but certainly he probably felt abandoned by God. He probably was wondering as he heard all of the people praising and making sacrifices and communing and singing songs of ascent as they made their way up to Jerusalem, God, how is it that you work in all of these people's lives? But I feel so unseen. I feel so alone. I feel so abandoned. You know, I think 
about Hagar when I think about this man. You, know, you remember the story of Hagar. Abraham and Sarah were given the promise that they would have a child, and from that child uh, there would be a, a mighty nation and Messiah would come, and yet they were unable um, to you know, naturally have a child. It would come miraculously. Isaac would some years later. But they got a little impatient, and so Sarah came up with an idea. It was a, it was a common, you know, procedure back in the day in the culture she was living in. She said to her husband, hey, go into your, my maidservant, go into Hagar, um, sexually consummate a relationship, and then when she gets pregnant and she delivers, she'll just deliver that baby onto my lap, and it will just basically be our baby. This will be the fulfillment of the promise. I mean, she was thinking like the world thought around her. Well, Hagar did get pregnant, and when she got pregnant, she was despised in Sarah's eyes. Sarah was jealous. Um, she was angry. The Bible said she treated her maidservant harshly, and because she was so harsh on Hagar, Hagar fled, pregnant as she was, into the desert. And you know, she... she found herself in a place where she was all alone. Uh, it was a dangerous place to be. She had no food. She had no water. She was preparing herself to die. And then the Bible says the angel of the Lord found her. The angel of the Lord found her. In other words, listen, the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. He sought after her. He pursued her. When she had been victimized, when she had been abandoned, when she had been forsaken, when she had just faithfully followed obediently the commands of uh, Sarah and her master Abraham, and then she suffered for it, when she had been rejected, when she had been cast out, when everyone seemed to have abandoned her, God did not. God did not. The angel of the Lord found her and the angel of the Lord guided her and the angel of the Lord gave her a promise and she returned to the house of Abraham but not before she named the place Be'er Lahairoi, which means the God who sees. The God who sees because she discovered that in everyone else's unseeing there was a God who saw her. And I want to tell you today, God sees you. God sees you. God sees you in the rejection that you've gone through. God sees you in the abandonment that you're dealing with. God sees you in the victimization that you, that's been foisted upon your life. God sees you in the absence of resources. God sees you in the, the desert, the wilderness that you've been dwelling in. God, listen, God sees you in the darkness. God sees you in the darkness. His eyes see through the dark as if it is the light of day. There is nothing unseen to God. And not only does he see you, but he pursues you. He pursues you. I know as we were reading these verses, you were struck by the phrase, one man. Right? This place is filled with sick people, and, and yet the Bible says there was one man that Jesus found. You are that one person today. You, with all of your needs and all of your struggles and all of your burdens, in all of this group of people, he sees you because he loves you. He loves you. And not only that, not only that, when you have no one to help because of mercy, Jesus will help you. You know, it's interesting to me, like, you know, he always does this. He always asks these provocative questions that just make no sense whatsoever because there's always a deeper thing that he's doing. 
And so he finds this guy, he goes up to him, and he asks the most, you know, rhetorical question a person could ever be asked who needs to be healed. Do you want to be healed? Now, the answer, like, is obvious to us. I mean, it should be a pretty simple question to answer, but he's drawing this person out, right? He's drawing him out, and it is interesting, I think, that um, the response that this man gives betrays his sense of abandonment, right? It's not just a simple, yes, listen to the explanation. Sir, I have no one. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up. And not only that, listen, it's worse than that. When I go down, another steps down before me. I'm just like pushed out of the way. And so the way that this man responds, it betrays what's going on the inside of his heart, like he's seeing things from that finite perspective. He's looking at his resources and they're absolutely exhausted, right? It's like, hey, do you want to be healed? Well, I'd love to, but listen, not only do I not have anybody, but I'm just, I'm just pushed around when the water is stirred. I have no resources to, to, to bring a solution to this problem. I think this guy just is viewing life the way that we do so often. You know, we view life through our finite lens, we view life and life's possibilities based on what we bring to the table. You know, and then, and then you know what, what happens. God loves us so much that he exhausts our resources. God loves you so much, and this is a hard truth to, to, to take in today, but God loves you so much, and he wants such close intimacy with you, and he wants you to lean in and depend on him that oftentimes you know what he'll do. He will exhaust your resources, He'll exhaust your resources so you have nowhere else to turn but to him. So, so, you, yeah. so you can have the privilege, so you can have that amazing experience of discovering that nothing is impossible with God. So that you can discover that even when everything else is against you, God is for you. Do you know that today? Do you know that today? Are you exhausted today? You come in. Look, you come into church, you come into church, you might be a little exhausted, you might be financially exhausted today, um, and, and heaven knows that that's a reality for many people. Like with gasoline at $6 a gallon, eggs at $10 a gallon, you know, I went to the store with Levi, and I'm like, I'm gonna get some dinner, we'll save some money. It was 100 bucks by the time I was done. And I handed him the re receipt, and I'm like, why was this, why was this so much? And you know, yeah, why? You want to know why? I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. You know, I bought, I bought some nice little cheese to dip some nice little crackers in. And Levi's like, Dad, that cheese was $13. That's what I said. I said, what? I'm like, if I, if I had only known. Hey, maybe today your, your financial resources are exhausted. Maybe your emotional strength has been exhausted. You know, maybe relationally you're exhausted. It's almost as if there's a problem in every relationship that you turn to. Maybe today, you know, you're spiritually exhausted. The, the fellowship and communion that you've desired to have with God is not what it used to be or not what you would like it to be. It's almost as if spiritually you're living in a dry and thirsty land. In the absence of your resources, cry out to the mercies of God and allow him to give you strength where there's been weakness. And this was what he taught the apostle Paul. Right, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that it would be relieved by God. And God said, my what? My grace. My grace, my grace is sufficient. 
And Paul's like, you know, therefore I will glory and boast in infirmities and sicknesses because when I am weak, his strength is perfected in me. It's good. So this man had exhausted resources, but worse than that, evidently it would seem that this man was in this physical predicament because of his own sin. Because of his own sin. Now, I will tell you, there's differences of opinion on this. But in verse 14, it's interesting what Jesus says to this man. He says, see, you are well, sin no more. Or maybe your version says, stop sinning, that nothing worse may happen to you. There are many scholars. I'm not a scholar, but I'm a Bible teacher who believes this is true. There are many who believe that this man's physical Sickness was a direct result of sin in his life. It is not always that way, but it would seem it was that way for this man. Some go as far as to say this man may have had sexual sin in his life. He contracted, and this was common during the time, he contracted syphilis. Um, and when syphilis reaches like the extreme in a person, sometimes it causes paralysis. But uh, nevertheless, the point is this, this man could have been in a place where it's like, well, I, I want to, I, I want to be healed, um, but no one can take me down and, and people push me out of the way. And the truth is this, I probably deserve it anyway. I probably deserve this anyway. Like, who am I to cry out for the mercies of God after what I've done? And I'm kind of suffering the consequences of my own sin. I don't deserve God's mercies. And so why would I even cry out for them? Maybe that's you today. Maybe today you're like, well, I, I would love to lean into the mercies of God and I need the mercies of God, but pastor, I've blown it so many times. I've, I struggle so much. That's a door I just don't feel I'm worthy to knock on. And I wanna remind you today that God's mercy is undeserved, it is unearned, and it is unlimited. It is undeserved. It is undeserved, it is unearned, and it's unlimited. Hey, the point of mercy is this, you don't deserve it, that's why you need it. You don't deserve it, that's why you need it, that's why it's called mercy. Like we don't come to God, or at least we shouldn't come to God and say, you know what God, I need the resources, I need the strength, I want the money, fix my relationships, and by the way, do it because I deserve it. Like I hope you didn't wake up like that today. I hope you didn't wake up where it's like, you know what, God, you're, you're really lucky you got me. You're lucky you got me. And in the trophy case of grace, you know, God, I'm the tr trophy that sits on the top shelf, you know, based on my righteousness, because I've been a good boy or I've been a good girl, based on my righteousness, God, I want you, and then you fill in the blank. God, help us to never approach God like that, because that's not how we approach God. We approach him we approach him humbly. That's what a heart that's longing for the mercy of God knows, right? And as you grow in your relationship with God, this aspect of humility should be growing simultaneously. Like this is so unconventional to the, to the human mind. We grow in our relationship with God. We spiritually mature. He perfects us into the image of Jesus Christ. There's less and less sin in our life, and yet... As we mature, we recognize we need more of God's mercy, not less of God's mercy. We need more. Why? Because as we grow in our relationship with God, we see more clearly that he is a holy God. 
that he's a, he's a righteous God, that, that, that every day as we're communing with God, we realize we don't deserve to even have the opportunity to knock on the door of grace, to step into the throne of grace and receive help and mercy in our time of need. No, as you grow in your relationship with God, you discover how holy he is and how, how far you are away from him by nature and that compels you to lean humbly into his mercies even more. David learned this. David had been blessed by God for some 20 years. He was a successful king. He was a successful political leader. He was the sweet psalmist of God. And you know he had a season of real sloth, spiritual sloth in his life. When he should have been out with the armies fighting the battle, he was at home on his rooftop sunning himself and he saw Bathsheba. And his heart was stirred with sin. And you know the story. You know, he brought her into his house. He had an adulterous relationship. He tried to cover up her pregnancy when she told him that he was pregnant by lying to Uriah the Hittite and trying to manipulate him. And then when Uriah, who was a man of integrity, would not be manipulated by David, David was incensed and basically had Joab murder him. And after Uriah was murdered, David brought Bathsheba into his house and played it off as if the child wasn't his. And for nine to 12 months, he, he wasted away in his soul. Read Psalm 32, he wasted away in his soul. Guilt and shame ate him up on the inside until one day Nathan the prophet knocked on the door, told David a story at, about a person who had stolen someone else's sheep, and David, able to rightly judge sin in somebody else's life, didn't realize the story was for him, and Nathan said to him, you are the man. You're the man, David. You're the man. God gave you everything. God pulled you out of the sheepfold. God anointed you as king. God blessed you with strength. God conquered your enemies. God made you the sweet psalmist. God gave you great victory. And how did you repay God? By stealing somebody else's wife and then murdering the man. You are the man. And David received the word of re rebuke. And some time later, he, he penned Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance, where he said this, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. David didn't say, based on, you know, that time I killed uh, Goliath. He didn't say, hey, you remember how I dealt with the Philistines? He didn't say, hey, God, you know, based on how I united the kingdom and uh, all the hard work I put in, God, based on the Psalms that I've written and how they've blessed so many people. No, he doesn't say that. He says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I don't know how far you are from God today. I don't know how many things you've done that have compelled you to think that you no longer can knock on the door of mercy. I would say to you, that is the voice of the devil. You need to turn to God now. You need to turn to God now on your knees. Well, Jesus, Jesus is merciful to this man. As he says to this man, get up, take up your bed and walk. There's a miracle that happens in the moment. This man crumpled up, right? His muscles have atrophied. 
38 years of paralysis. This man was crumpled up and all of a sudden he is infused with the power of Jesus Christ and he is made whole. A fulfillment of Isaiah 35, 3 where the Bible says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, uns deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Jesus heals this man on his own terms. He picked the who, he picked the where, he picked the when. The place was filled with sick people, he chose this man. He went to the place, the house of mercy himself, and he did so on the Sabbath just to get under the skin of the scribes and the Pharisees who had created 39 additional laws over the Sabbath, one of which was it was illegal to carry a burden. And so when they saw this man radically healed, miraculously transformed, carrying his burden, they, because of their self-righteousness, were unable to see the great mercy of God upon this man's life. They were more concerned with their rules. I want to encourage you today, never be more concerned with the rules of man than the mercy of God. I want to, yeah. You say, you say, pastor, I mean, how could that ever happen in a church? Don't happens all the time. It happens all the time. This is one reason why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive the mercy of God. The final thing today is this. When Jesus touches your life, his mercy leads you to worship. When Jesus touches your life, his mercy leads you to worship. I just want to say really quickly uh, today that maybe this is my favorite part of the story. The Bible says in verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Jesus found him in the temple. It's, you can imagine, right? You can imagine this guy. He's like, man, he has been made whole. God has closed the gap. He's been restored to God. And his life has been changed. When you are touched by the mercy of God, it changes your life. This man took the exhortation. He stopped sinning. He got his life, life right with God. And he went to worship the Lord. You can imagine the communion, the beauty of communion that he had in this moment as he experienced the fullness of God's power in his life. And the reality was this, it wasn't just the physical healing that God was after, it was the soul healing. It was the heart healing. It was the forgiveness and the internal transformation that this man really needed. And it was all evidenced by the reality that there he was in the temple worshiping God. Worshiping God. You know, that's what this is today. This is, this is Bethesda. Church is Bethesda. This is the house of mercy. This is the place where the people who have been touched by the mercy of God gather together to worship the Lord, to give him praise. Have you been touched by the mercy of God? You know, we, we didn't gather today to fulfill some, you know, heartless ritual. We didn't gather today just to have a good cup of coffee and throw up a couple of songs. We came today because, number one, we've experienced spiritual healing. We were sick with sin. And what did he do? What did God do? He made available to us through the cross of Christ his abundant mercies. You look to the cross of Christ where... What we deserve was poured out on Jesus so that we could have his mercy poured out upon us. Poured out upon us. He heals, he restores, he forgives, he accepts, he, he changes, he transforms our lives. 
We gather today to give him praise. We've come to the house of the Lord to bless him for the mercies that he has given to us. And not only does he do this work spiritually in our life, but many of us have been touched by the mercies of God through which he has brought emotional healing and relational healing and physical healing and financial healing. I'm, I'm preparing for this study this week and, and, and I'm thinking in my life in certain areas, God, I need mercies. God, I need, I need mercies. I need mercies now. Like not, not next week. Not next year. God, I need your mercies now in these areas in my life. God, I'm knocking on the door for your mercies, believing that your love for me is faithful and focused and it compels you to compassionately meet me in my time of need. And so, and so what, is your, what is your need today? What is your need today? What is your need today? What need do you have that needs to be met right now? Now, hey, it's good for us to have a study on mercy to understand what the Bible says about it. It's better for us to come to God in the moment where our need is existential and cry out to him for help. Today, maybe you have a financial need. You need the mercies of God. Today, maybe you have an emotional need. You've been discouraged. You've been burdened. You wake up every morning and for you, it's like every silver lining has a cloud. Nothing is good. Nothing brings you joy. Nothing brings you satisfaction. Maybe today there's just been a sense of distance between you and God. It's not that you don't love God. It's not that you don't belong to God. But your heart is like a wilderness, like a desert. It's dried up and parched. And you, by the mercies of God, need a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. Maybe today there are broken relationships that you have in your life. Maybe today your marriage is on the rocks and you need a touch of God's mercies. Maybe today you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. There's no parent that's perfect, but maybe you've raised them up in the way that they should go and now they're walking in wickedness. You need the mercies of God to awaken those souls to God once again. Today, whatever your need is, this is the house of mercy. This is the place where you can bring your need. Maybe today you need physical healing. Maybe you have a, a chronic physical issue that you've dealt with for years, it's burdened you. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God who healed in the past, he is a God who heals in the present, and he is a God who will heal in the future. Today, don't leave this place having not because you've asked not. And so what we're gonna to do today, Pastor Tony's gonna to come out and we're gonna have our pastors and some of our leaders uh, just line the front of the stage and we're gonna give you an opportunity today to cry out for God's mercy, an opportunity for you to bring your need, whatever it is. Hey, there's no need that's too great that God can't meet and there's no need too small that God doesn't care about. He cares about everything in your life. And so today, uh, we want to encourage you. You can stand up and you can begin to come forward this morning. Just stand right next to one of uh, our leaders today. Let them know what's happening in your life, what you need prayer for, and let the Lord do that work in your life. I, I just have this, I have this feeling this morning that, that there's somebody in this room, you're a tough guy, 
you know, you're a, you're a tough guy and you perceive yourself as too strong to lean on God's mercies. And, you know, strong men rely on the mercies of God. And today, you need God's mercies. And you can just drop that facade or persona of strength and power that you carry and humble yourself and God will honor that today. And so this morning, we're gonna dim the lights and uh, you just stand up right now, come on forward and let us lift up your need in prayer.